How are the leaders at all levels of management tackling the toughest challenges each day? That's the question. And this podcast is the answer. I'm Rob Fonte, and I'm bringing on the brightest minds in management to share practical solutions to those challenges you're facing. Let's get ready to jam. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Leadership Jam Session. Today's guest is Dr. Ciela Hartnov, who is part of the founding team of the Google School for Leaders and head of Next Practice Innovation and Strategy at Google, where she developed projects designed to shape the future of leadership and work. She currently runs Hum Collective, boutique strategy and innovation firm that helps companies, executives, and teams make sense of the forces shaping the future and helps them prepare strategically. Ciela, welcome to the Leadership Jam session. Thanks, Rob. It's so fun to be here. Are you ready to jam? I am ready. I did play saxophone for a hot second in uh, in uh, middle school, so I'm ready. Did you really? So did I. I was really bad at it. <laughs> yeah, I did. Me too. So it's interesting. We've kind of followed similar tracks here. <laughs> now doing the leadership space. Very good. All right. So as I mentioned in the opening, in terms of how you were part of the team that founded the Google School of Leaders and head of Next Practice Innovation and Strategy. Would love just to have you share a little bit more about, you know, your role, what that entailed and what the focus of that group was. Sure. So as you know, I, I run my own consulting practice now called Hum Collective, and it's built on a lot of the work that I did at Google. So let me just share a little bit around what is next practice innovation and how does it apply to thinking about leadership? When I was at Google, I really founded my own team, which is not uncommon for people at Google to have an idea and for it to, to be manifested. And so that's what I did. I had an idea that I thought, hmm, I have a research background. I have an academic background. I'm a leadership development expert and organizational psychologist. How do I bring these things together in a way that's most useful for the organization? And what I ended up doing was pitching an idea that we could create an innovation lab, focusing on thinking about what is the next practice in human behavior and human capital. And my idea here was to move beyond benchmarking and what's known as best practice, because we know that best practice basically means that you're copying and repeating what other people have done. And maybe it works, but what I had started noticing is that in times of massive change and unprecedented emergence, copying other people wasn't really working. And I think that's more and more true these days is that organizations can't pick up work practices from other organizations and just apply them to themselves. So that was my whole idea. I started thinking about, hmm, how do we invent the next practice? And if, if any place is equipped to do this, it's Google. So I pitched the idea of creating this innovation lab and it took hold the last, I think, five years at Google, I was running this innovation lab. And the first project I ever did was a question around what is the future of leadership? That was the question. And I built a innovation process to answer that question and basically built uh, a new philosophy around leadership that ended up being the philosophy that was infused into the Google School for Leaders that we founded and I was sort of the strategy and research lead helping drive the philosophy of leadership for Google. Mm -hmm. And now I take the same process and I use it to help clients outside of Google think about their own big questions as it relates to the future of work. Are you able to share what, what that philosophy, what you came up with? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to share some pieces of it. Yeah. It was a bit twofold. So the part that I came up with in my team, I say I, my team, we came up with 
was a whole set of ideas around the leadership mindsets of the future ready leader and what would be these mindsets. And we codified a set of six mindsets that mattered inside of Google and also inside of the context of the environmental conditions. And this was in 2016. And the idea of mindset as foundational to leadership hadn't actually been talked about very much. I realize now in 2022, this idea is so widespread that no one will, will bat an eye about me saying this, but it was a new idea because at the time in 2016, most of what we were doing in the leadership development space was skills-driven, competency-driven, okay. or focused on team dynamics and leaders sort of running teams. So this idea that mindset really mattered, and in particular, these six from the research that I had done, was really a next practice at the time. And next practice often turns into best practice eventually. And I think we're now at the point where mindset and understanding of mindset is best practice. But the whole goal, I think, for organizations is to figure out the next practice before it becomes the best practice. So that's the piece of work. And then there was a second piece of work where I partnered with our people analytics team. And most of you probably know that Google has an exceptional analytics team who codified a set of leadership behaviors that also mattered. So we were looking at both mindset and behavior as the penultimate way to advance leadership. And I think the two things combined were really the differentiator. Your role sounds so cool, right? That you had. In it was a great role. I loved every minute of it. And when you are doing work that's a little bit edgy, yeah. it's not always um, accepted, even in the edgiest company. And so I learned a lot about what is it in the human psyche that can or cannot accept change and becoming much better at building a story around why change matters because we may know that we need to change but actually getting people to change is a whole different ball game so it's not just about the research and the big idea it's also about how does an organization adopt and accept the new idea and now because of that big learning that I had inside of Google I focus on two things yes the big next practice idea but also how does an organization build the strategies and the adoption methods so that that big idea doesn't go to waste? Did you find that you struggled at times with like the pendulum swinging too far one way? I mean, in some organizations, it takes like, you know, moving a mountain to change one thing, right? Mm -hmm. But on the other side of it, where you have a, a culture that is innovative, did you find that there was challenges in terms of, you know, the old adage of, well, if it's not broke, let's not fix it type of thing. Do you feel like maybe there was at times too much change could be a little bit of a disruptor of, as well? Yes. And I think every organization deals with that. Um, where is the balance between providing stability and where is the balance of, of finding the right level of disruption? And that is a constant sort of what I would call polarity because there's no answer to it. There's no one answer that says this is the right path. An organization always has to be paying attention inside the context of their industry, their business model, where and when is disruption required and where and when does there need to be sort of some stability in the business sure. model. Every, every C-suite is sort of always dancing across this polarity 
And it's the same thing with, you know, something that is simpler, which is sort of a decentralized or centralized organization. Every organization I've ever been in has sort of been swinging between the two. Oh, let's be centralized. Everything needs to be clear. Oh, yeah. let's decentralize. Every, every country should be able to decide. There's no one answer to that. It just is a dynamic that a, a business has to, to deal with. Right. Okay. Yep. Fair enough. Well, you know, you've spent the last several years studying leadership. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just curious, what is your personal philosophy on leadership and has going through what you just described and, and even founding that group, has that, you know, impacted you and changed your whole leadership philosophy? Yes and no. Okay. I, I think we can agree that leadership is an act. It's not a sort of a personality. It's, a, it's an action. It's a guiding of others to a bigger cause. I, I would say that most people in the leadership space would agree with that component. I think where I'm more leaning to now is in a little bit of a different direction in that I think leadership is much more about wayfinding. And by that, what I mean is helping others make sense of things that are blurry or opaque. Because right now there's so much uncertainty mm -hmm. and leaders, maybe we used to look to them to to really guide us to a very specific direction and to have a very clear vision. And we've seen inside the context of deciding if an organization will be remote, hybrid, you know, whatever name, flexible, whatever name you want to yeah. call it, a real lack of clarity there. And so we can't look to our leaders anymore to have very specific clarity. But what we can look to them is to be a wayfinder and to bring us along the journey, to get in the boat and say, come along. We're going to navigate by the stars. Let's figure out where we're going together. And that is what I'm starting to see most of the effective leaders doing is being wayfinders on two levels. One is for the business itself, to being able to sense and respond to the business dynamics that are really fluid and uncertain where, you know, with COVID, we saw that a lot. Can we be in the office? Can we not be in the office? This is all about sensing and responding to the conditions. But I also see this sort of wayfinding activity happening in sensing and re responding to the dynamics of their team and the emotional architecture of how we build culture and senses of belonging and how are people actually feeling and pushing the humanity back inside of the organization. Mm. So my big idea right now, and I talk about this in my book that's coming out next year called Reclaiming Sensitivity, is that leadership is the act of wayfinding. And the way we do this is through an idea that I have called sensitive leadership. It's, it's the opposite of, of knowing in the way that we used to understand it. It's mm. more leadership that perceives and then takes action. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit more on that and give us an example of what that might look like and how it distinguishes from other ways of leading? So sensitive leadership, the way I define it, is the sure. ability to sense and respond to emergent terrain. That's, that's fundamentally what it is. And then bring others along with you to help them make sense of what's happening. Yeah. That's what sensitive leadership is. Sensitivity, as we sort of have come to understand it, really is about emotional acuity. But the original definition of sensitivity wasn't about emotional acuity at all. Mm. It was about the idea of sentiment and sensing. So what I'm saying is let's reclaim the whole idea of sensitivity as the way that we can perceive our environments and ourselves. 
So it's a widening of our perceptual skills. And ex exceptional sensitive leaders are very good at widening their perception. The reason why this matters is because in uncertain terrain, all we have is being able to notice and see dynamics and then respond. There's no amount of data that's going to tell us here's the right answer. And this is distinguished from what I would consider the old way, which is you set a vision, you get lots of data, you build a strategy, and then you bring everyone along and then you put in accountability metrics. Hmm. That's the old way. Yeah. This new way is much more dynamic and responsive, but it's also much more humane because also with sensitivity comes emotional acuity. So we don't want to throw that out. Yeah. So we become a more humane. So what I like to encourage people to do is rather than us looking for some sort of penultimate sensitive leader, which is such the sort of lone hero, old way of us thinking about leadership, I encourage people to think about who, who are those sort of hidden sensitive leaders? Because often sensitive leaders are a little bit more hidden. They're yeah. not, they're leading from behind in a different way. And then they step forward when it's required but they're not the center of attention. It's so true. And I think, unfortunately, so many of these leaders, the quiet leaders get overlooked or get labeled as not having a strong presence. And yet, uh, I love your point about, you know, the ones who really are the ones more leading from behind. The people who are closest to them, their employees, they definitely know they, that leader has allowed. They know for sure they have a loud leadership presence. It's just manifested differently mm -hmm. right and what is loud what does loud even mean and exactly loud means being knowing all the answers loud means being domineering L loud means patriarchy like that's what loud means when we talk about stepping up and having leadership presence yeah that that needs to be turned on its head to say there's a guiding mechanism leadership is guide leadership is wayfinder and we have to remember that leadership has, is nothing without followership. And I think we spend far too little time talking about the followership component. Because if you're, if you're guiding and, and no one's following, then you're not a leader at all. So sensitive leaders are really good about uh, building followership because they, are, they bring along, they help people make sense of an of a uncharted territory together. Mm -hmm. And then you become part of this community and part of this team. You know, it's interesting. Would you say that, let's look at current events, right? President Zelensky. That's in Ukraine. totally a sensitive leader. Yeah. I don't think many would even know who he was a year ago, right? But everyone knows who he is now. Because it's the moment that he has to step up. And sensitive leaders will absolutely do that. But I think that's a, a great example of, of something where we start saying, wow, look at the way he's leading. And it's not soft. So let's be clear, sensitive leadership isn't soft. It's commandeering, but it, it has deep, deep compassion. And you see that in him, that compassion that he's bringing around his people. To your point, I don't see him soft at all. Just the opposite. But I'm willing to bet some people thought that prior to these events. Mm -hmm. Because he probably had more of a quiet style. And I don't know, you know, it's just interesting though. Everything you just described, sensitive leadership, as you were talking through it, I was just making some connections to, to President Zelensky. Mm, I like that as an example. You know, I think the differentiating factor around the sensitive leader, if I could boil it down, is that a sensitive leader is not 
writing on them knowing and having all the answers. They're writing on perceiving the situation and responding accordingly. And even at times sharing that they may not have the answers, right? Absolutely. And, and we'll figure it out together. And here's what I know. And here, what do you know? There was a great example, and I'm not going to remember all the details, but there was a great ex- example around early in the pandemic. There was one company, I need to go look up the details, but there was one company that apparently regularly had people come in and like do trend spotting. These were just the C-suite. They would come in and they would say, you know, I heard this thing was happening. Just want to bring it to the table. And they had a regular cadence of this sort of trend spotting, which is a very sort of sensitive leadership thing to do, where you would spend time talking about things that you're hearing, early signals. And there was one person who came in and said, I had read, I read this thing. There's something happening in China and Wuhan. I don't know exactly what it is, but I think we should keep an eye on it. So they put it sort of on, you know, a list of things to keep an eye on. The next thing they came back, they're like, no, there's really something happening here. Blah, 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 blah. They were the, one of the first companies to send everyone sort of home and they didn't have a crisis about it because they were watching this sort of early trend. Mm-hmm. And this was part of the practice of leadership around what the, the, the senior executives were doing. I thought that's, that's so simple, but so powerful thinking about what is a simple way of bringing sensitive leadership to the table? Well, it's creating the space in your meetings to have these conversation about things that you're perceiving that may not fit right into the strategy bucket or right into the agenda, but are adjacent and may eventually impact the way you need to lead. That's such a great example. So what would you recommend as some best practices for maybe leaders who may struggle with this? Anything that you can recommend that a good starting point for them? Yeah. So the first starting point I always say is become a better questioner. Fall in love with questioning. Hal Gregerson has a great book that is about questions and he's out of MIT. I believe the questions are the answer. I believe that's the name of the book. And he talks about the utility of questioning and innovation. And he has lots, if, if you have data junkies who are listening, he has lots of data about questioning as the way to solve really, really challenging problems. My view on questioning is it's also the way that you can get more information. So if you're not questioning and you're just stating, then you're only going to ever know what you know. But that's the first one is really start questioning more effectively. The second one is what I call sense giving. As a leader, it's important that you start helping people inside your organization see things that they don't see. So the questioning is for you to start seeing what you, what you don't see. The sense giving is for you to start instilling in people who you're leading, um, giving them access to things that maybe they don't see. And so sense giving would be an act of sharing with them something that conversation that's happening at some level that the rest of your team isn't privy to and helping them make sense and sharing the context around what this might mean. Oftentimes what I see is a comms cascade that says, oh, we talked about X, Y, and Z at the leadership team. Now you know. That's not sense giving. Sense giving is contextualizing it and saying, here's what I am making sense of this. Here's how I am interpreting this type of conversation. So what you're doing is building, helping them the people that you're leading also build a practice of sense giving inside their own terrain. So there's two, those two things, questioning and sense giving as sort of places to start. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. 
I'm a big fan of questioning. A lot of my past employees who are listening or some of my clients are probably rolling your eyes because I'm I believe in the power of asking really good questions. The sense giving is um I think that's that's just fantastic. And I, I never heard it served up that way. Mm. And I think that's great. And and I'm assuming this is some of these things are kind of outlined in, in your upcoming book. They are outlined in the upcoming book. And because I have an academic background, of course, these are very well researched. And sense sure. giving is a terminology that's often used um, inside organization practice and psychology. So I wouldn't be surprised if you haven't heard that term, but I think we need to actually use the term itself because it does mean something quite specific. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Very good. So... How do you see leadership evolving in the future? My hope is that we become less hierarchical over time. And this sensitive leadership lives across organizations at all levels. And that we can find a way through technology or otherwise to connect all the dots so that we absolutely, in the end, manifest these organizations as living systems. So if you're a psychology geek like I am, for many years, we've been talking about organizations as living systems that are adaptive and breathing and um, responsive to, to terrain, just like an ecology is, just like an ecosystem is, right? If something happens in the soil, the bugs will adapt, et cetera. So we've been talking about organizations also as um, ecologies, but we haven't really been able to figure out how to harness that. And instead we put in structures and hierarchies and all these sort of mechanisms that I think take away from the adaptive nature of an organization and allow for its ecology to live. I understand why that's the case is because we don't know how to harness the ecology. And so the best we can do is to try to control it. I think we could say there's sort of a parallel with how we handle the earth, et cetera, controlling. So my vision and hope for leadership is that we're all sensitive, can be sensitive leaders across an entire organization and that we have the technology or the means to manifest the ability for this information to be shared, for us to always be adapting and being perceptive and that we build new ways and new systems that allow for that. Do I know what the answer is and how to do that? <laughs> I have some ideas, but um, I think it's going to be a co-creation process because this is a whole new way of understanding how work should be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sounds like you have the makings of your next book. So, <laughs> Oh, I have, I have a few books. Yes. Have a few. And when your, your book is going to be launched uh, later this year, is that right? Next, or next year? Early next, next year. year. Yeah. yeah. So we definitely love to get you back on it so we can talk deeper uh, into that. And we'll put all of your information on our website as well in the show notes. So that way anybody wants to reach out and contact you, they can. Great. I have a quarterly newsletter. So if you sign up on my website, humcollective.co, once a, once a quarter, I'd share my ideas and thoughts, and then you can follow me on LinkedIn. I definitely appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your background, your experience, as well with my listeners. It was a pleasure having you on. Nice to meet you, Rob, and a pleasure as well. Take care. Thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with a friend or colleague who you think might also get some value from